Illinois is eighth in the nation for gun law strength. That's according to a group called Giffords Law Center, an organization that ranks all 50 states' laws by how restrictive they are and how many gun deaths occur in each state. At the top of the list is California, New Jersey, and Connecticut. New York is in sixth place. So what is it about our state's gun laws that makes them different from more restrictive states with less gun violence? Joining us is Robert Spitzer, professor of political science at SUNY Cortland. Robert wrote five books on gun control, including Guns Across America, Reconciling Gun Rules and Rights. Hi, Robert. Welcome to Reset. Nice to speak with you, Sasha. So give us the lay of the land here. What do gun laws look like in states with stricter gun legislation? Well, they tend to have more laws on the books and covering a wider variety of gun-related problems or activities. And, you know, there are lots of different kinds of regulations from background checks to safe storage laws, laws restricting assault weapons, laws um, pertaining to large-capacity ammunition magazines. That's defined as those that hold more than 10 rounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, Red flag laws have received quite a bit of attention recently. These are laws that allow relatives or others who know a person who owns guns who poses a direct or seems to pose a direct threat to himself, herself, or others. And if such a circumstance arises, you can go to local law enforcement and say, look, I think this guy's going to shoot somebody or going to shoot himself. And they go. They can go in and take the guns away, have a hearing mm-hmm. to determine whether they should keep them away or not, and uh, then um, that allows uh, the avoidance of potentially devastating uh, shooting incidents. Yeah. And those laws exist in 20 states. So I mentioned California and New, and New Jersey being among those on the top. Do those states and New York have have similar laws to what you just described? It does have those laws in place, uh, different kinds of laws. Um, And also, New York and California have moved ahead just in recent weeks to enact additional measures. New York State, uh, the state I know more about, I'm a New Yorker, um, enacted a law in early 2013 after the shooting in in, um, Sandy Hook, Connecticut, the elementary school shooting, enacted something called the SAFE Act, which was a a kind of a lengthy series of uh, gun measures, including new restrictions on assault weapons, bullet magazines, and similar things. And uh, most recently, just in the past week, the state legislature in New York and the governor signed a new bill with with a number of new measures, and California has moved ahead with its uh, its own measures. Do we know how many deaths stronger gun laws could have prevented? In this country? It's hard to put a precise number on these things, but you mentioned rankings of states in terms of strictness of laws. Mm -hmm. But in addition to that, there are a number of studies that look at the relationship between how strict a state's gun laws are and their gun violence rates. And what you find, and a variety of uh, studies along these lines have been done, not just by gun organizations, but by researchers that show that there's a direct correlation between how strict the laws, the gun laws are in a given state and its gun crime rate. And indeed, there is a direct correlation. So states like California, Hawaii, New York, Massachusetts, Connecticut, and Illinois and Maryland have stricter laws and also have, generally speaking, lower gun violence rates. And if you go to the other end, 
states with very few laws, you know, in states like uh, Wyoming and Arkansas, Idaho, Mississippi, Montana, yeah. they have the fewest laws and also the highest per capita gun violence rate. I mean, you think of Illinois, uh, Chicago, New York City as being real high crime, high gun crime, and they certainly have a problem. But the fact is that statistically overall, they're in better shape um, than many other places in the country. You've written extensively about how the NRA influences gun laws. Can you talk about that? Well, sure. The NRA is the nation's oldest and largest gun rights group. It's been around since 1871. It was formed not to deal with gun violence, but it was formed to improve the shooting and marksmanship skills of military-age men because the two men who formed the NRA, actually both New Yorkers, interestingly enough, were both Civil War veterans, and they witnessed firsthand that the typical military-age male who was brought into service to fight in the Civil War didn't know one end of a gun from the other, by and large. Mm -hmm. And to improve those skills, they formed the NRA, shooting marksmanship, and it was also felt to be a a character-building and sort of manly enterprise for men. Um, And that's how the organization functioned in its early decades. That's what it was interested in. It really, you have to jump to the modern era and recent decades to see that the NRA became a much more political organization and more to the right wing, politically speaking. And that's when kind of the political picture of guns in America began to change. I see. All right, let's focus now on a state that we've been talking about that's tightening up gun laws in response to the racist mass shooting at a grocery store in Buffalo. New York legislators, as we've mentioned, they just passed several gun bills. So we're going to check in with Dan Clark, who's the host of the weekly PBS show, New York Now, which covers state government. Hey, Dan, welcome. Hey, Sasha. Thanks for having me. So New York just became actually the first state to pass gun legislation in response to that mass shooting in Buffalo. What do these bills accomplish exactly? Yeah, there are a lot of bills here. And I will say just to start that New York, as mentioned by Robert and yourself, already had some of the strictest gun laws in the country. So building on this became sort of a challenge for lawmakers, but there were some really clear places to uh, kind of strengthen the state's gun laws, especially in response to the Buffalo shooting. So first on that list, we talked a little bit, bit about red flag laws. Now in New York, law enforcement will be required to file a extreme risk protection order with the court. That's basically a filing that uh, they'll file with the court and then the judge will decide if that person has presented signs that they could harm themselves or others. And then therefore, if they do present those signs, the court can then take away their guns and prevent them from purchasing more. So that'll be a requirement now. That's in response to in Buffalo, uh, the shooter had actually a year before had, had threatened to shoot his high school. So The state police in that situation ended up not filing an extreme risk protection order. We still don't know exactly why, but now they would be required to do that. I see. There are, yeah, yeah, there are several other big items here. Uh, Semi-automatic rifles in New York. You now won't be able to purchase one until you're 21 years old, as Governor Kathy Hochul in New York has said. There were two similarities between the Buffalo shooter and the one in Uvalde, Texas. They were both 18 years old, and they both used semi-automatic rifles, specifically ar 15 So now in New York, you'll have to actually go through a licensing process that takes at least four months and you have to file with the court or in some cases, a police commissioner. And they determine based on character references, gun safety courses, things like that, whether you can actually own one of those guns. 
So that's to weed out people that may not present the right character to own the gun, yeah. in their opinion. There are several other things that, that kind of go through loopholes here. So we've seen in recent years, in response to, as Robert mentioned, the SAFE Act in 2013, that banned what are called assault weapons. Um, it's a political term, but in some, some cases, it does actually have a technical definition of being a semi-automatic weapon and possessing some military-style characteristics. So now there have been some loopholes there where gun manufacturers and owners have, have modified guns to make them uh, legal to buy in New York, and then they become illegal through these modifications. So we've reduced the definition of a firearm. So now those weapons would actually be illegal to buy at all. Yeah. There are a host of other items here that we could go through, and I'm happy to, of course. There's things like micro-stamping, where a gun would be required to stamp a little serial code on each bullet that connects the bullet to the gun. That would be at least a few years out in New York. That, that's mm-hmm. designed to, to trace the bullet and link it up to its owner so that you can at least get a starting place in the case of a crime to know where to start here. Wow. And things like track, tracking down social media companies and making sure that social media companies have mechanisms here so that when somebody posts threats of mass harm and even suicide, that users on social media will be able to report that to social media companies immediately, and those companies will be able to take action. Because well, you and I both know the, the yeah. Buffalo shooter had live-streamed uh, the shooting. To exactly. He was taking it down within 10 minutes, but they want A lot of detail here, Dan. Out. Yeah. So yeah. W- would these laws have made a difference in the mass shooting at the Topps grocery store? I think that's the question of the hour. Yeah, lawmakers said that they would, absolutely. The the shooter at the Topps grocery store in Buffalo had bought a semi-automatic rifle in New York. He is 18, so in this case, he wouldn't have been able to buy that gun there. He did equip it with an out-of-state magazine. We already have them banned in New York, but the, the objective here was to really get the hands out of these, uh, frankly, children whose brains are still developing, that don't, uh, they can't even get a legal drink in New York State. Uh, to make sure that they don't have these firearms, especially in cases where there may be signs of mental illness. Uh, we talked about the extreme risk protection orders. That's another thing here yeah. that may have prevented the top shooting. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We're talking about how legislatures in different states are responding to mass shootings across the country in the past couple of weeks with Dan Clark, who's the host of the weekly PBS show New York Now. Dan, thank you for that update. Absolutely. Robert Spitzer, who's professor of political science at SUNY Cortland, is still with us. Robert, what's your reaction to how swiftly New York passed this new gun legislation? Like, is that common to swoop in that quickly? Yeah, I would say it's pretty unusual when New York State enacted the SAFE Act in early 2013. It acted very rapidly, although not this rapidly. It is unusual, um, but it is facilitated by the fact that that uh, right now the same political party controls both houses of the New York State Legislature and the governor's office. Back in 2013, when New York passed the SAFE Act, there was divided party control. The Republicans controlled the state Senate, the Democrats the state assembly. Even so, uh, then Governor Andrew Cuomo was able to push the SAFE Act through, and that was a testament to his political skills Mm -hmm. because the Republicans tend to resist stronger gun laws. So, you know, the, the, the dynamic is a bit different now because of unified party control, which I believe Illinois has as well in its state capital. And that does facilitate more rapid action. And and what are we seeing in other parts of the country since this mass shooting in Buffalo? 
Uh, generally speaking, it's a trend that we've seen in recent years where more liberal states tend to move towards stronger gun laws. California is doing that right now. And more conservative states quite deliberately doing the opposite, that is, moving to roll back existing gun laws, partly because they want to make a political statement that they believe that uh, that gun laws are not effective or that gun rights are being infringed on uh, by the enactment of you know, various gun measures. So uh, you see this kind of bifurcation of the states, you know, uh, liberal states going to stronger gun laws, conservative states going the other direction. And that is part of American federalism. Let's bring another voice into this conversation to zero in on what gun laws look like here in our state. Patrick Smith is a criminal justice reporter with WBEZ. Hey, Patrick. Hey, Sasha. So I know you've been listening along, but talk to us about Illinois. How restrictive is Illinois when it comes to gun laws? We've been saying it for the last couple of weeks, especially. Illinois has got some of the strictest gun laws. What do we mean? Mm-hmm. Well, so, so um, you know, Gifford's Law Center to Prevent Gun Violence, they give Illinois an A- minus for gun control laws, as you mentioned. According to Giffords, that puts us eighth out of 50 states um, for sort of the strength of our gun control laws. I should say every town for gun safety actually has Illinois as number six. We have restrictions on, you know, thing, you know, we have things like you need to have permitting, background checks to purchase a weapon. We ban fully automatic weapons here in Illinois. However, we do not ban semi-automatic weapons. We do not ban so-called assault weapons. Um, we don't ban high capacity magazines. Those are some of the things that sort of the gun control groups ding the state on. One thing that I do think is worth pointing out, especially um, after what Mr. Spitzer said near the, the top of the conversation, as I said, we're, you know, in the top 10 as for sort of most restrictive gun, gun, gun laws. We are middle of the pack, 27th out of 50, 50th for gun deaths here in Illinois. So, so the equation is not quite working as well in Illinois as okay. it might in other states because uh, we have about 14 – gun deaths per 100,000 residents in here, which puts us right about at the national average. We require a background check and a permit to purchase firearms. Is that common around the country, Patrick? That is not common. Uh, according to the, the reporting that I've done, it, it's, few, you know, it's not like, you know, it's not um, out, of, out of, I think it's about 20 states, maybe 21 states that, that require a background check and or a permit to purchase firearms. So mm-hmm. it's not completely uncommon, but it's not the norm. Uh, Illinois, you know, more than half the states in the country, I know everyone can do that math pretty easily, do not require a background check or, or permit to, to, to purchase a, hand, a firearm. And uh, we just became the first Midwestern state to outlaw ghost guns. What exactly does that do? Yeah, so ghost guns are untraceable guns um, that, that you can that can be assembled through kits you get online or created through 3d printers. We actually just had a federal indictment, I believe come down uh, last week of, of somebody who's accused of, of sort of putting these guns together at their, at their home and then selling them to people, um, you know, allegedly. And, and that's this, we know that this is happening in other instances where people are sort of putting these guns together. They're not, you don't buy them at a gun dealer. They don't have serial numbers on them. And and that's why they're called ghost guns, because they're untraceable. They're now illegal to sell, to possess, to transfer or manufacture here in Illinois. Obviously, people will still be able to do it because you can get the, the supplies online, mm-hmm. uh, but it would be illegal to do it. And, and people could be arrested for, for, for owning the, the ghost guns. And one thing we know is that some of our neighboring states, like Indiana, um, they've got loose gun laws in comparison to Illinois. So how's that impacting our gun violence here? 
Yeah, according to law enforcement officials and a lot of researchers, those la- more lax gun laws in states like Indiana or Missouri around us, they have a big impact on the number of guns we have here in Chicago. Uh, there was a University of Chicago report in 2017 that found that more than one in five illegal guns recovered by CPD originated in Indiana. Specifically, more than 60% of illegal guns that were recovered that they were able to trace came from states outside of Illinois. I do think it's worth noting, you know, again, speaking of math that everybody can do, 60% came from outside of Illinois. That means about 40% of, of crime guns in Chicago came from within Illinois in yeah. that study. You know, that report found that, that there's the biggest individual seller of crime guns was Chuck's Gun Shop, which is in south suburban Riverdale here in Illinois, not, not in Indiana. Robert, weigh in here. Uh, can looser gun laws in some states lead to violence in other states that have really strict gun laws? Uh, they definitely can. And uh, uh, Patrick's description there is very telling because it's very similar to the story in New York State, where in New York State, again, which has even tougher laws than Illinois, between 75 and 90 percent of the guns that police capture in gun crime situations come from outside of New York State. And this has been a major problem in New York for many years where uh, people traffic guns on the interstate, you know, through the interstate highway system. Uh, buying guns where they're easy to get, mostly in southern states, and yeah. bring them back to New York. And the police call this the iron pipeline. And they've done a variety of things to try and uh, interrupt that flow of guns over the years. But it, it makes one additional point. Uh, people sometimes look at those numbers and say, well, that means that gun laws don't make any difference. But the thing is, if gun laws didn't make a difference, why would people go to the trouble to getting guns to get guns from out of state. Yeah. If it was easy, just as easy to get them in New York or in Illinois, they'd all come from New York or Illinois because it's easier to go around the corner than to go several hundred miles. Yeah. Um, so state laws make a difference, but gun trafficking is a major problem in New York and obviously Illinois too. Yeah. And we're, we're learning a few things from this conversation, right? There are so many different types of gun control legislation. We've got some states that ban civilians from purchasing bulletproof vests. Uh, we've got others that don't even let you buy a gun in the first place if you're under 21. But if we as a country want to end gun violence, Robert, briefly, what has to change? Well, it's that there's no simple solution. There's no single silver bullet, so to speak, or band-aid that will cover things. But we know that these measures can make a difference. There have been a mounting number of studies that show, and a multi-pronged effort is is valuable both in terms of law and another part to this puzzle that's not directly related to changing gun laws is uh, to expand and aggressively have anti-violence programs at the community level. Those programs were having some successes in the last decade, but then along came the pandemic, and of course those programs had their funding frozen, and people stopped going door-to-door and talking person-to-person because of the pandemic. And so there's new federal funding and new state efforts to try and rev those programs up again mm-hmm. because those have proven to be pretty effective in reducing gun violence, too. That's Robert Spitzer, professor of political science at SUNY Cortland, author of Guns Across America, Reconciling Gun Rules and Rights. And we've also been speaking with WBEZ's Patrick Smith. Thank you both. Thanks for listening. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We've got more for you on the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.